is that video said, I think in the very last part of it, it said, Acts, uh, a new community, part two. So this is part two of a series that we began studying in this, the Bible book, the book of Acts, in the fall. Those of you, some of you were here, many of you were, but if you weren't, we started that series, did six weeks in the fall of this year. And we looked at the first four chapters in the book of Acts, and we're going to pick that up today in part two. And these chapters that we'll cover in the next um, six weeks, really the next ten chapters, cover the spontaneous expansion of the church in the New Testament, not only as it grows and moves and, 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 and morphs in, in ways that are kind of, it's kind of like a, a runaway train, the way that it's more of a movement than anything, but it also actually changes its own center. Many of us know the church began in Jerusalem, the, act, uh, the, the day of Pentecost, the Spirit came down, it, Jesus was Jewish, the 12 apostles were Jewish, the Christian early church was a movement out of Judaism, but it didn't stay there very long. As Jesus said, go into all the world. And even though some of the people were slow, the movement took it, uh, went forward. And the center of Christianity, the, let's say the hub, actually by the time we get through the chapters we're in uh, starting here, actually leaves Israel. It's not even in Israel anymore. It ends up in Europe and we're off and running. Now, but before the church, thinking of you and me as we try to learn from this, can reach the larger world with the gospel. That's what the book of Acts is. It, it's a model. It is a history lesson, but it's also a model. Before the church can reach the world with the gospel, that's the whole point of the church, it has to be reached and shaped by the gospel. Okay, this is the, the, the thing that, you know... Um, sobers us and challenges us always as Christians, right? You know, we, our minds and our hearts get ahead of our lives. Before we can reach even Penfield, Webster, Rochester, before we can reach the world in greater ways, the, the, we need to be, with the gospel, we need to be shaped by the gospel. And the book of Acts is talking about that process. In the book of Acts, we talked about this last uh, fall, the key player, the key person of the Godhead is the Holy Spirit who's building a new community. That new community is called the church. Now, it's mentioned, when we read these verses in just a second, the, the verse in Acts chapter 4 and 5 we're going to read, it's the first time the word church is ever mentioned in the book of Acts and maybe only the second time in the New Testament. In other words, it's a new idea, the church. You'll see it here. What is the church? It's a community defined by new loyalties and a new story. It is true when I become a Christian, when you become a Christian, oh, I wish my life changed overnight. It doesn't for anybody. We're, we're, the whole Christian life is playing catch up with what God has declared about you, declared about me, and given you in, in the resources of the Holy Spirit, etc. But in a sense, what it is, is I'm defined by new loyalties. Whatever my backstory was, I'm defined by a new story. I have now become part of a larger story. That's what it says. That's what the Bible means. Not just the church itself, but individuals in the church like you and like me. And the new church is not defined by the old categories of race, of language. Think of the Jewish people here. Social class. We all have those things, but that's not what defines the people of God. The people of God are defined, are united by, we'll see in a minute, the resurrection 
which is a shorthand for the gospel, and they use these terms resurrection practices when we talk about the New Testament. What it basically means is it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a way of saying if you want to know who the church is, it's not about geography, it's not about ethnicity, it's not about socioeconomics, it's not about even what people say, it's about the way they live. We call them resurrection practices. They will know you are my people by the way you love is one example that Jesus uses. So that's what we're going to look at in this series. We're going to look at one of those today, right? But let me say this. This new life, which takes time, comes with opposition. Okay, we know that. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time. Now, opposition first comes from the outside, there were people in my life, uh, always, I've been a Christian for many years, who, who didn't want, weren't excited about my life change. There were people that opposed my opposition. Listen, the devil opposes us. Then there's opposition from the inside. Back to maybe more closer to our sermon this morning. What is the opposition from the inside? Well, it comes from other people, even in the church. Remember one of the 12 apostles was the devil, right? okay? So it comes from the inside. It comes from my own heart. I'm my own worst enemy at times. You're your own worst enemy. And it comes because the old loyalties, we don't change overnight, creep back into our lives, our old thoughts, our old challenges, right? The point is this. Personal faith in Jesus, which is how you become a Christian, leads to new community. Not just this setting, but community of each other. And in a very real sense, this new faith in Jesus depends on the community for embodiment and nurture. You don't, I'm not, I don't need the community to become a Christian, faith in Jesus, but I need a community to grow as a Christian, okay, to actually express the Christian faith, which is what we'll be looking at here this morning. So I'm going to take in the minutes I have, look at one these aren't my terms, but we'll call it a resurrection practice. In other words, how does the church look like? If you're flying over the church, if you're looking at its narrative, what tells you that it's the church? It's not the building. They didn't even have buildings in the book of Acts. It's not the building. It's not the gathering. It's not the sermons. It's not the seminaries. It's how they lived. That's called resurrection practices. And the one we're going to look at today, perhaps the most prominent one is why we're looking at it, is generosity, where I get the title of my sermon, The Power of Generosity. Now, as we read these verses, let me say this. Buckle up, because these are unusual verses. Okay, buckle up. The, the power of generosity. Follow along as I read. With great power, the apostles continued to testify. So we're picking up early church, book of Acts. We're still in Jerusalem, more or less. With the power of the apostles, continue to testify to the resurrection. And the Lord Jesus and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. It's a powerful statement. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph a Levite from Cyprus, in other words, he's Jewish, but he didn't live in Jerusalem, but now he does because a lot of people came from Pentecost from different countries. They became Christians. They wanted to be around Christians, and there's only one church at this point. They can't go back to Cyprus. They can't go back to Ethiopia. They can't go back to Turkey. There's no churches back there, so they stay here. 
Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostle called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and bought them, brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Peter the apostle, Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and you've kept back for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? It's your land. And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? So it's not a, there, there's not a greed issue here. There's a, there's a, someone's not telling the truth. What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. He said he sold it for X. He really sold it for Y. That's what he's being called out on. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later. It's like the movie of the week. About three hours later. His wife came in. Not knowing what had happened, Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Wow. What are you going to do with that, Pastor? Okay. Now, let me say this quickly. This is here for a reason, right? This is, this is, Luke didn't have to include this. There's a, there's a real point here. Luke rounds off his second summary of the church's new life. This is a summary statement. When we, the, the, especially the first verses that I read, right? Everyone's together. The grace of God's doing powerful things. They got stuff together. Needs were being he's, he's, this is a, They call this a summary statement. It's the second one in just four chapters. So Luke is writing, an, it's the Bible, but it's also a history lesson. It's, it's inspired scripture, but it's also trying to teach us something. And it, Luke is writing, and he's giving these summary statements. This is the second summary statement in just four chapters. And in this summary statement, he's going to highlight a distinctive internal practice and giving contrasting examples of it, right? Barnabas 1, Ananias and Sapphira, the contrast 2. Then this powerful Practice is the practice of the spontaneous meeting of practical needs through the release of personal resources, okay? This is long before there was church buildings. There wasn't any agency. There wasn't a something-something department. There wasn't a pass-through. This is just people spontaneously meeting needs. And why were there so many needs? Keep in mind, the church started just months before this. And a lot of people came in from all over the known world. We talked about this in September. And they became Christians and God changed their life and they wanted to come back to church on Sunday. And if they wanted to go back to church on Sunday, they couldn't go back to Cyprus and Italy and they, they had to stay here. And a lot of them did. Barnabas as well. So some people needed a place to live. Some people needed a job. Some people needed a, a meal. But some people needed something more. And these people were meeting these needs spontaneously. But here's my point, okay? Number, point number one. 
What is this practice? What is the church? The church is a place of self-giving. Right? Luke's trying to make a point because the church is new and people want to know what is the church? Is it just another form of Judaism? Is it just, a, is it just you know, Judaism 2.0? What is this? No, let me tell you what the church is. I'm going to tell you what the church is by demonstrating how they lived. And twice in four chapters he said, this is what they did. They spontaneously gave. It's very important to see, however, that this behavior chronicled here, verse 33 and following, and then exemplified in Barnabas, negatively in Ananias and Sapphira. It's not a new law. It's not the, it's the, the church doesn't all of a sudden say, now here's our Ten Commandments. The, the, this act of uh, generosity was not in response to a giving sermon. It was in response to the preaching of the resurrection of Jesus which is a shorthand for the gospel. What motivated these men and women, what motivated even the, uh, the exemplar example of Barnabas was the gospel of Jesus Christ. The grace of God was, this is the words of verse 33, powerfully at work among them, right? It was so powerfully at work among them that the gospel that saved them began to work deeper and deeper into their heart, into their mind, into their soul, into their behaviors, into their thinking, into their self-identity, into their understanding, such that they were beginning to release things that were very important to them. Self-giving became a characteristic of the early church. The center of gravity, theologically, of the New Testament church is right here. God's grace powerfully at work among them. And the question I want to ask myself, ask you, and ask us as a church, is it powerfully at work in us? Because nothing else can, can accomplish what it is that God wants to accomplish in us and through us. There's no other means, there's no other way other than a deeper appreciation of the gospel. Now, Barnabas is a clear example. He's raised for a couple reasons here. And there's so much I could say about him. And we will in the weeks and months to come. Because Barnabas is one of the most important figures, I'm talking about his influence, in all of the New Testament. There's only a handful of people. I'd put Paul there, Peter, James, and John, and, and, and Barnabas for reasons I can't get into right now, but we'll talk about it. He's a major, major player in the New Testament for multiple reasons, and this is not even one of them, this gift of uh, his land. But the reason, one of the reasons he shared here, so maybe the writer's trying to plant a seed, but the primary reason, back to this, the church is it's about the power of generosity, the primary reason he's here is because it's telling a few things about the church. The church was made up of a group of different people. And in, this, in, 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 the, in the early church, even more than today, we might say today we have haves and have-nots and the one-percenters and, you know, the, the idea that there's the rich and there's everybody else, you know, that, that's part of our even modern dialogue. But it was, it, was, it was much stronger and the gap was much greater in the first century. In the Roman Empire, just as an example, all of the letters in the New Testament, everything that goes on in this book, is, is anyone that, that, that's talked about, any churches that are happening here, all happened within the footprint of the Roman Empire because the Roman Empire was huge. In, in Jesus' day. Now, in the Roman Empire, one-third of the entire Roman Empire were slaves. Let's just start for starters, okay? So the church, there was not only made up of a lot of uh, poor people, whether they were slaves or above slaves, but not rich people, but there were very few people in the church that were landowners. I mean, the, amount, the number of people that were landowners 
uh, it's, it is so small. I mean, today, I, raise your hand. You don't have to raise your hand. If you own a house, I mean, most of us own a house, not all of us. Totally different ballgame here, okay? So this, he's putting him in a special class and making maybe the point that this guy had been so moved by the, the grace of God in his life that he not only, you know, gave a meal, gave a, gave a shirt, said, you can sleep in my, my extra room. I'll give you a job because you're not going back to Turkey or whatever. He not only did that kind of need, he sold a piece of property and actually must have had another piece of property because he, he lived somewhere. And he did that. And they're saying he's in a special class of people. Well, so too is Ananias and Sapphira, right? But they become a negative example. What, what's, the, what's, the, what's the lesson here? Why did they do what they did? Well, apparently they allowed, let's say, the sin of their heart. What was their sin? I mean, it's not greed because they had a lot of money. And even Peter said, you could have given us just part of it. It was hypocrisy. They wanted to present themselves as something other than what they were, right? Jesus said this in the great Sermon on the Mount. I'm sure it was in Luke's mind. Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites in the synagogues, Sermon on the Mount, who he's, 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 over, he's over speaking, who blow trumpets when they give to the needy. Now, I'm sure they didn't actually do that, but it's just, they make a big deal about their giving, but um, don't be like them because their hearts are far from me. They're not really doing it out of true, God didn't do a work in their heart. They're just trying to draw attention to themselves. And then Jesus said this whopper, which is perhaps in Luke's mind, you cannot serve God and money. It's a powerful statement. And that was 2,000 years ago, right? So money and what money can buy, because today money is, doesn't look the same as it but money and what money can buy what's called security, has become all the more, it was true in this day, a small g God. And when push comes to shove, that small g God can get between you and a greater work of God's grace in your life. That's what Luke's trying to say. He's not trying to scare us here. He's trying to make a point. One way you know the gospel has taken root in your life, has shaped you, is it's broken or loosened the grip of money in your life. In order for a person, think about yourself, to let go of anything of meaning in your life, especially money and possessions and the security that they often provide for us. It's a God in our life. We know in, in, our, in our culture. For us to let go of it, I don't mean give your money away, I mean burn it. I'm just saying to, to take it from the center of your life and to release it, to relax it, for that to happen, something else has to take hold of you first. And when something takes hold of you, which is the grace of God powerfully working, then what seemed like a small G God, what seemed like something that was the center of my life, the center of my security, it's relaxed and I'm able to release it. And that's the lesson here of Barnabas and Ananias and Sapphira. In other words, that's why he says in verse 3, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart? This is a metaphor, like being filled with the Spirit. It's not meant to be, this isn't that mysterious of an idea. It just means what is the control center of your life? That's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, there, there was no exacting science here. No one had to give anything, and if they were going to give, they didn't need to give a certain amount. 
But the fact that you said one thing, and the Holy Spirit told Peter, I guess, that you, you lied to me, it tells me something. That this, there's a God standing in your heart that's keeping you from exercising the kind of um, generosity that's supposed to be at the center of this movement. And in the, in the providence of God, it doesn't happen today, thank the Lord. You know, people aren't dropping dead in churches. God wanted to make a point here. Okay? When this does happen, though, for you or me, Barnabas is an example, we are released to share, which is what I think he exemplifies, what was previously a source of security in our life. What we don't have here in Acts chapter, in the book of Acts, is a romanticized, idealized portrait. Right? Some people don't go to church anymore because they go, oh, well, the, the church is full of hypocrites and the church is full of problems. And, 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 well, wake up. This is, this is not a romanticized, idealized portrait. It's full of real people who don't have here, um, who, who, excuse me, full of real people who are pulled in different directions the same way you and I are. But, I think this is to inspire us. As we open our lives to a greater work of God's grace, verse 33, we can become generous. Let me just for a minute, I don't have time, to brag about you, Browncroft Community Church. We do, we'll do this in just a few minutes, take communion, and we will have a mercy offering. Some of you don't even know what it is because we don't, we don't blow a trumpet once a month. We just say, there's a mercy offering. Give it on your way out. And that mercy offering is not to pay bills or to pay salaries. It's for people in need. In the last fiscal year, with not much fanfare, you, Browncroft Community Church, gave well over $150,000. That's ten, sometimes $15,000 a month. That's not your tithe. That's not your offering. It's not your reach initiative. It's just being generous. You do that. What have we done with that money? Well, financial assistance was given. As I say, $150,000. To single parents raising children, the unemployed, families with one parent, uh, people in alcohol rehabilitation, expenses related to adoption, refugees who attended worship services here who needed help, the, uh, those overwhelmed with medical expenses. It included, I'm being generic, I'm not pointing at anyone, but these are all th ways in which the money was spent. Paying their rent, mortgage, utilities, gift cards, food for gas for their cars, professional Christian counseling, medical and dental expenses, auto repairs, occasional clothes, etc. Also beyond money. The church regularly serves many of you. By serving as volunteers, meals are provided, home repairs are done, shut-ins are visited, notes of encouragement are written. There's networking that happens even beyond what we know, this $150,000, because like the old church, a lot of you don't tell us about it. Last Saturday, literally last Saturday, four guys from Browncroft, three houses from my house, were raking leaves. I know it's a late to rake leaves. Raking leaves at someone's house. One guy had his son there. These are people that have jobs and have their own lives and their own leaves. But they did it. Why? Because the woman who goes to this church, who, um, but has spent weeks and even months away from her home in 2023 because her mother's at the end of her life and she's taking care of her and she doesn't live in New York State. And someone found out about it. And these four guys came over and raked her leaves. Okay? Because what's the point? The church is a place of self-giving. When one's true hungers are being met, Barnabas, generosity naturally overflows. Is that true for me? Is that true for you? Not just with your money, with your time, with your prayer, with your words. Second, the church is the dwelling place of God. Okay? What do I mean by that? 
For the reader, I don't know about you, this is one of the most unnerving episodes in the Bible. Right? Hey, you want to come to church, friend? Yeah, I'm going to come today. Well, how did it go? Well, two people dropped dead. I'm not, I'm not coming back to that church. So, okay. It's shocking to us today, but let me say a couple quick things about it because why is it here? One, keep this in mind when you read the book of Acts. Maybe the Bible in general, but it's in its infancy. In other words, the church is being established and because it's being established, extraordinary things are happening that don't happen. A little bit later in chapter 5, we didn't read it, but if you can read it on your way home, the, the, apostles continue, the apostles are not only healing people, the apostles, regular people like Peter, James, and John, they're doing what Jesus, they raised somebody from the dead. Now, I've never done that. Okay, you probably think I was crazy. If I told you I did that, you'd probably want to fire me. You know what I mean? I'm joking. But the point is, most pastors, we don't, Christians don't do that. But not only that, it says in the end of chapter 5 that people would want to get close to Peter. So here I am with Abigail. And, and they said, if, 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 if Peter, they wanted to get within Peter's shadow because if they got within Peter's shadow, they could be healed. That's in your Bible. But I don't do that. Because it, the church was being established and extraordinary things were happening. And I think this is an extraordinary thing. Not because God wants to strike us with this kind of fear, but because he's trying to make a point. What's the point? The church is the dwelling place of God. Do you believe that? Okay, do I believe that? We live in a world, sadly, I think, different from this one. But in this one, what was true was the spiritual realm was an almost tangible present where people not only believed in the presence of God, God is among us, they believed that God was here, they expected God to show up and do things in their life. That's why, watch what Peter says when he's challenging Ananias and Sapphira. This is a lesson for us. Peter doesn't say, how dare you lie to me? I'm the important Peter. You know, people lie to each other all the time and Peter didn't think he was anything special. This is what Peter says. How is it that you've lied to the Holy Spirit. Dude, that's not a good idea. Verse four, you have not just lied to human beings, but to God. Verse nine says to the wife, how could you conspire to test the apostles? No, the Holy Spirit of God. In other words, these people came to church believing, yes, they were sinners. Yes, they had a long way to go like you and I do, but they said, this is a, the power of God is here, okay? And in many ways, not just in the book of Acts, but in the New Testament, they, the church, it took them a while to figure that out. And so in this case, it's the only time I know that happens in the New Testament, this dramatic thing happens, but it's not because God wants to scare the pants off of you or me. It's because he wants, he's trying to make a point. What would it be like positively, maybe this is what Barnabas got, that I live my life knowing that the power of God is here. The Holy Spirit is here. Wow, right? That's what he's trying to say. First Corinthians, let me just give you one verse to show you this isn't just some Acts chapter six, or excuse me, chapter five thing. I could quote or, or, or read a dozen verses to you from other letters, but here's the point. Paul's making to a different congregation in a different season. Don't you know, this is to the Corinthian church, that you yourselves, he's trying to make the same point to them, are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst. 
See, they were still meeting, we'll see this in a second, around the temple environment. They, meet, they were still meeting. They didn't have a church building around the, uh, Solomon's colonnade. But he said, listen, you don't get it, guys, ladies. You're God's temple. See, in the old days of the Jewish system, I'm overstating this, but it was like you come to temple, maybe you wore your best clothes, you washed your hands, and you, you, know, you, 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 you know, uh, crossed your teeth and dotted your eyes. And the further you got away from the building, maybe in the different suburb, maybe you go off, well, I can live kind of crazy over here because, you know what I'm trying to say? We had this localized understanding of who God was. And we lived one way there and one way here. And Paul's saying, listen, it's a whole new ballgame. You're the temple of God. If anyone destroys God's temple, it's a metaphor, he's not talking about a building, God will destroy that person. It's kind of, it's kind of overstating, but he's trying to make a point. For God's temple, here's the point, is sacred. And you are that temple. Now, before you lose your love for the church, he's not saying you're this holy roller and you're in trouble if you don't feel really strong about your life. He's saying, listen, you, what makes you sacred, what makes you holy is the presence of God. It's not my bona fides. It's not my resume. It's not the fact that I did this. But it, but it is the presence of God. You are holy. You are sacred because God is with you. That's the point he's trying to make. One pastor I heard who I have great respect for, someone asked him, he said, pastor, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It's such, a con it's such an interesting concept that we get confused on and, and the church has for years. And he said, well, there's a lot of ways to answer that question, but let me tell you some things that are straightforward from the text. He said, because the apostles, he did talk about the book of Acts, they're filled in chapter 2. They're chill, filled in chapter 4. Peter's filled, I think, three times in five chapters. So he's saying, it, it, it's obviously not saying he's saved and unsaved. That's not what he's saying. He's also not saying that to not be filled means you're empty. So the Christian lives like this. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm zero-based every day. He's, not, he's saying, what I think it means is this. It's when the Holy Spirit, and this is an everyday thing, takes the truth whatever that truth is, you know, we're supposed to be people, the church is about self-giving. He takes the truth that you know in your head and he makes it real in your heart. And he said, then it releases in you. He said, that's what I think it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I think that's what Luke is trying to say here. Ananias isn't a better person than Ananias and Sapphira, but he understood something. The grace of God was powerfully at work among him. He was willing, as Jason said when we were singing at the start of this service, open the gates. Learn how to do that as a way of life. And God will change your life and change us. Before we can reach the world with the gospel, we need to be shaped with the gospel. Lastly, this says, great fear seized the whole church and all heard about these events. Uh, and all heard about these events. This is not meant to be terror or panic but a healthy sense of awe at the supernatural and at the revelation of God. This is how it ends. My last point. The church is a place where people, not just you and me, but you're, the people who aren't here, can experience the power of God. That's what Luke's trying to say. You might think, that's why I want to read these last couple of verses, that after this, the church said, we're done. No new people are coming because this story is insane. But that's not what happens. Verse 12. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers 
used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. They're still meeting on the edge of the old temple because the church barely started. Now watch this. No one else dared join them. Kind of figured, you know, you kind of know not why now, right? Now you know what? Even though, I love this, they were highly regarded by the people. So people said, I don't know if I want to go there because this place is, people are dying, at least last Sunday. But they also said something, they're highly regarded. These people aren't kooks. The power of God is here. Something amazing is happening here. It's not happening anywhere else. Now watch verse 14. Nevertheless, this is the beauty. Even though he says, I think Luke's kind of saying with a smile on his face, even though you might think this would be the end of the church. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. In other words, this crazy episode didn't diminish the church. It grew the church. Why? Because anybody with a mind or a heart said, listen, I don't understand everything that's going on there, but the power of God is there. And there's nowhere else I can go to experience the power of God. And I've seen people's lives change. I've seen people's heart change. Barnabas, oh my goodness. He sold a land and put the feet. And so did a lot of other people. Everyone in this community. It says all of them were, the grace of God was powerfully at work among them. And no, in, in every need was met. And what were the needs? As I said, we got to keep in mind, we have to, we have to contextualize this because we're a little bit different. But the whole church came together in Acts 2. Much of the church came from other places. But when there was no other community yet established besides this one, if you wanted to keep going to church, you had to, you had to repot and live in Jerusalem. That's why Barnabas, who lives in Crete, but lives in Jerusalem now. And all these people would have come with no place to live, no job, no, maybe not even the clothes on their back. In other words, in all of a sudden, whether it was a small need like a meal or a big need like I need to help you rent an apartment, the point was the church just spontaneously responded by meeting needs. And the people around go, wow, that's amazing. And when that happens to you, when that happens to me, when we become shaped by the gospel, and there are more than one resurrection practice, but the one that's mentioned twice in four chapters is that they were a people who were greatly generous. They were people who were self-givers, not just with their money, but with their time, right? Raking those leaves, with their resources, with their encouragement, with their prayers. They, were, they moved in this way instead of things coming this way, and that changed the early uh, communities, and it can change ours. Amen? Okay, now, read. Uh, let me just close, but we're going to take communion. Let me say this. The purpose of this, even as I think of these words, the church, the the apostles preached the resurrection and the grace of God was powerfully at work among them. That's what this is. There's only one way to grow as a Christian. It's not you become a Christian by faith in Jesus and then you get on your horse and climb some other set of mountains or other sets of habits, or other sets of practices. It's basically taking this and and learning how to deepen its impact on your life more and more and more over the course of your life. It's how you take the grace of God and make it more powerfully work in your life. You say, well, Rob, my my marriage is is challenged. This is the answer. Uh, uh, I'm very stingy with my money. 
this is the answer. I still have all kinds of uh, strange thoughts and, and, and hate half the people in my life. This is the answer. All I'm saying is, whatever the challenge is, it's a work of allowing the gospel of Jesus Christ to come in and bring, um, to satisfy you in the deepest parts of who you are. To be loved where you didn't think you could be loved. And to have a power that's beyond anything that you could do. Barnabas didn't sell that land because he, through moral uh, uh, conviction, through, you know, uh, through willpower, he did it because he was overwhelmed by the love of God. That's what we're talking about. So I want you to take just a minute, and then we're going to take this together, and I'm going to ask some questions to you now as we close this sermon. I'm asking them to me. Are you a generous person? Now, money's just one way, and some people give a lot of money away and they're not generous. So I'm, I'm saying, are you generous more than you were a year ago with your time. If you need a, 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 a communion cup, raise your hand. These, these friends will give it to you. Are, you, are you. are you more generous with your time, with your money, with your home, right? With your prayers. That's a way to be generous. Is your heart filled with the Holy Spirit or is there something else that's really standing in your way. You still might be a Christian. You could be a Christian. and Can you be a Christian and have all kinds of problems? Of course. But maybe there's something else that's become more important to you than the love of God. Do you need a greater work of grace in your life today? Do you need to surrender maybe in your prayer to God a form of security? Could be money. Could be what money buys. It could be your reputation. Barnabas or Ananias and Sapphira it could be who knows what it is but something's become more important to you and to me than Jesus Christ this is the challenge of the Christian life we, it, it doesn't get any different but this is an opportunity for us to come back to our center and to say God you know me maybe you just say God I don't even know like Romans chapter 8 I don't even know what my issue is, but I'm asking you to put your finger on it and do a greater work of grace. But some of you do know. And you just need to say, Lord, I want to surrender my fear in this area. I want to surrender my, my loneliness in this area. I want to surrender my, my anger. I want to surrender whatever it is that's become a God in my life so that you can do a greater. Amen? So let's just take 60 seconds. This is your time to do some business with God, and then we'll take communion together and be done. Let's take this table together. 
If you have one of these, if you're doing this, if you're a follower of Jesus, you want to participate in this communion experience, you can just pull this piece of um, plastic off and take this bread in your hand. On the night he was betrayed, the Last Supper, Jesus said to his disciples, this represents my body, which will be broken for you which it was the next day. Let's eat together. You can peel back the foil on this cup if you have one. When supper was ended, the Last Supper, he took the cup of wine and he said, again, giving new meaning, this cup now represents the new covenant. There's no such thing with the church without the new covenant. The new covenant, the new agreement, the new reality in my blood and represents my blood will be shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Amen? Let's take it together. Before I send you out, let me state uh, what I said earlier. We have a mercy offering. You can give to it uh, practically in buckets as our uh, ushers are holding them on the way out. You can also give online, which is the way most people do it in, in these days. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for this day. We love you. And Lord, I pray that you would, uh, this would be, uh, you know, uh, the end of the beginning of something you want to do in the life of this church. I pray you would uh, have more access to my life and more access to our lives that we might become all the more shaped by this very gospel that we share today and, and celebrate today in this table and that we might become more and more like Christ, more and more free Lord, of our fears and our guilt and our concerns and more available to love and to serve and to give. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.